This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. So I'm giving you a little bit of an intro here because um, this is a two-part episode. We have uh, two guests to talk about the New York Knicks' most recent hire, a gentleman by the name of Kenny Payne. Um, who, after speaking to the two individuals that you're about to hear on this podcast, I am comfortable saying is going to have um, a significant impact on New York Nick basketball moving forward. Um, so the first of these guests is someone who you are going to get a chance to hear on ESPN radio uh, nationally. Uh, he's going to be on every Saturday from one to five, starting, I believe, this week. Um, he's also the creator of Kentucky Sports Radio. He knows Kentucky sports uh, literally better than anyone. Um, and that is Matt Jones. So I have Matt Jones up first. I thought he was going to be the only guest on this episode, but I was lucky enough to nab, in addition to Matt, Kyle Tucker. So Kyle Tucker um, also covers the University of Kentucky for The Athletic. He has been on that beat since 2011, which is the year that Kenny Payne got to Kentucky he wrote uh, just absolutely the best profile, one of the best profiles you'll ever read, period, but certainly the best profile I have read of Kenny Payne. Um, he wrote that back in October, and he spoke with basically all of the NBA players that have played for Payne, um, did an insane amount of research for that. So he comes on and gives some uh, behind the scenes on um, Kenny Payne and and what kind of a uh impact he might have here in New York. And without further ado, here is Matt Jones. Today is a Kenny Payne day. So we are going right for the best. The people who um have tracked him where he's been working for a while down in Kentucky. I am uh in that sense just absolutely honored that he could take a few minutes to talk with us today. Um, I have on the program Matt Jones. He is of Kentucky Sports Radio, and within a week, you'll be able to hear him on ESPN Radio from 1 to 5. I want to make sure this is right. Every Saturday, right, Matt? Every Saturday, yeah, with uh, Myron Metcalf and Joe Fortenbaugh, who's a Vegas gambling expert, and we'll be doing everything. Let me also just say, I love the idea of a Knicks podcast for this reason. (laughs) You know, as I'm not here to, to crap on the Knicks, but everybody knows the recent history. And if you're the kind of person listening to this and you care enough about the Knicks after all these years to still listen to a podcast about it in the middle of August when they're not even playing, these are my kind of people, the people listening to this right now. So I'm going to salute all of you. Well, let me say this for the fan base. I don't know how many other fan bases would care about the hire of an assistant coach. I think there, I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. name any names, but I'm sure there's some other cities in, in the NBA landscape who it's like, okay, we hired a guy. No, 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 no. In New York, it's, it's a big deal. And that's why I just, I'm really happy you could come on because I mean, you've been down in Kentucky for, <laughs> I'm assuming your whole life. And, and Kenny Payne has been down there for, I want to say going on about a decade now, right? Yeah, he came after the first year that uh, Calipari was here. So he was not part of the Wall Cousins class, but he came right after that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is the safe way to put it. 
you know, John Calipari is the reason Kentucky basketball has been what it's been in the last decade. But if you were to say who's the second reason, it would be Kenny Payne. I mean, Kenny Payne, I could not have more respect for a coach than I have for Kenny Payne. And a lot of times a college coach has skills that may or may not matter in the NBA. Recruiting, for example, is, a, is the kind of thing. What, what good does that do you in the NBA? And there are some player development issues that really don't translate to the NBA. But what I think about Kenny Payne is, and this is why I guess it sort of never occurred to me he could be an NBA assistant coach, but it should have, is that his strength is the kind of thing that will be directly translatable. And the number one thing is my man is the best at relating to players I've ever seen. Players love Kenny Payne. Not just like him, love him. The the NBA players that played at Kentucky, they come back to Lexington every summer and work out. And no offense to Cal Perry, they're coming because of Kenny, because they work out directly with Kenny, especially the big dudes. Kenny is a big dude guru, and he is and he is especially good at coaching modern big guys who can step out and shoot. So you folks, all, everybody knows Anthony Davis, Carl Towns. But where I think what Kenny does amazing is the improvement he gets from secondary guys. P.J. Washington may be on the all-rookie team. Most people didn't think that would happen. That's a Kenny Payne thing. He created a player in P.J. Nick Richards, who's from New Jersey, came to Kentucky, could barely shoot, do anything. He now has a chance to get drafted. Kenny is one of the best player developers for big guys, I think, that I've seen in basketball. So you said a couple of things there, and I want to touch on a few of them. One is relating to players, and – you know, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar. The, there's a new head coach up here in New York, Tom Thibodeau. He is uh, many things. Uh, as, as has been said, though, the guy who's going to put his arm around a player at the end of a day and kind of have that heart to heart conversation. That ain't one of them. Um, and that has been, you know, a criticism of the hire around here. So it, it sounds like this is a move to kind of you know, give the players that New York brings in a feeling like, look, we may have a guy at head coach who's going to demand a lot of you and may not be your friend at the end of the day, but you're going to have a support system here in terms of how the dynamic worked at Kentucky, because I, at the same time, he's also very demanding. I've heard of the drills he puts. Uh, what's the name of his treadmill? I think he has a name for it that he puts guys on and has them do this crazy running exercise. How did the dynamic work there with him and Cal and the players? And like, you know, how did he serve them? Well, so I, I, I don't obviously know about Thibodeau because I, I, you know, I've never dealt with him. But what I have read of Thibodeau would suggest to me, again, I would have never thought of it, but Kenny would be the perfect complement to Thibodeau for all the reasons that you just said. So, so let me take you back for a second. John Calipari is a good relator to players, but he is not like – he's not the lovey-dovey coach, okay? I mean, that's just not him. He is very, very demanding. I don't know that I would put him on Tibbs' level, but he's demanding. And as part of that, especially with college kids, you make a mad, especially the kind of kids Cal gets that are some of the top-ranked players in America. And Kenny Payne is the dude who basically was buffer between player and coach at Kentucky. So when guys like Terrence Jones is a name of somebody who was really good but constantly feuding with Cal, P.J. Washington was one of those, Willie Cauley-Stein, those guys, Kenny is the dude who would come in and go, hey, let's work this out. And I think that's a great role for him with Thibodeau. You know, if you go back, World Wide West, who I know, you know, I don't know what his official role is with the Knicks, but he's clearly got a role. Does he need one? He does does Kenny, World Wide West need a yeah, role? Yeah. I, I don't know what his role was at Kentucky, but he was always around. But Wes and Kenny have known each other forever. I mean, if you want to go back to Wes's career, it kind of started with the Louisville teams of the 80s with Milt Wagner and Kenny Payne. I mean, Kenny Payne goes back to when Wes was selling shoes. He knew it. So, I mean, that, that is a relationship. Everybody knows Wes, the power broker now. But Kenny Payne was with Wes when Wes was nobody. And so I'm not surprised that Wes would want to bring in Kenny. And I think the relationship he will have with Wes and Leon and then the relationship with Thibodeau, I, you know, I can, I, from just a personality standpoint, I think it's a perfect fit. And it's really actually brilliant of Wes and whoever decided to do that 
because that really is a perfect thing for what Kenny's good at. The other thing you mentioned that Kenny is good at is recruiting. And, you know, I was reading up today, somebody I think mentioned that he was maybe the best recruiting guy in college basketball that wasn't a head coach. And even compared to some head coaches, um, I think you could you could put him up against him. You know, the NBA is a different kind of animal. Um, you know, guys get signed to contracts, obviously. And I think one of the criticisms of the hire today, which is interesting, is that, uh, you know, it's typical Knicks hiring a guy who's going to try to get, you know, the big free agent in the room and sell the franchise and this and that. Um, but at the same time, it seems like he has a certain effect on not just any players. I mean, I you know, you're the last person I need to read a list of the guys who have come through Kentucky in the last decade. It, you know, it, do you think he has, how strong do you think those relationships are today, even though those guys are no longer in Kentucky? Yeah. First of all, I would say, I think the a criticism of him is, well, he's just a recruiting guy. That's, just insanely stupid and shows that people know nothing about him because Kenny was a recruiter. Yes. But he was not a recruiter in the traditional sense. Like he's not out there pounding in the pavement and call like Kenny's a dude who he is the guy that you bring in to finish off the recruit. So like over the years, he's not been Kentucky's head recruiter, but he's been the guy that when they want Anthony Davis and Carl towns to sign, Kenny is the one that goes and meets with the mother and meets with the kid and is able to make it happen. But that's still not the thing that he does best. I I don't consider Kenny as recruiting actually as his strength. I consider his strength player relations and player development because what he does is make these great recruits better. A perfect example is a guy that I know the Knicks are going to try to get as a free agent. And I don't know if they'll get him, but I tell you what, if you're going to have a shot, Kenny Payne was the dude to hire. Which Can, I Can I guess? Can I guess the name? You're... I've said Carl Towns. Oh, I, I was, I was wrong. I was going to say Anthony Davis is who the guy I thought you were going to say, but if it's well, no, 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 Anthony. Listen, if you can get Anthony, then obviously he's the best, and and he and Kenny love each other. But let me go to Carl Towns because I think Carl Towns. When you hired Thibodeau, you had no chance at Carl Towns unless you went and got Kenny Payne. Because the thing is, Carl Towns came to Kentucky, and he was not considered to be the number one pick. People don't realize that. Jaleel Okafor, who's now not even in the league, or if he is, I don't hear about him. Yeah, he's he, not playing a prominent he role. To, he was supposed to be the number one player, and Carl Towns was like fifth or sixth. And Carl Towns came in and on the first day looked at Kenny Payne and said, make me the number one pick. And he said, all right. And they did. And Carl Towns is now clearly the best player from that draft. He is the kind of guy, Carl Towns, when he had, when he's in his offseason, he comes and works with Kenny Payne. When he struggles and in Minnesota, when he had difficulties with Thibodeau, he would call Kenny Payne. Kenny Payne has been playing a role as sort of a, you know, speaker and, and – sort of leader with with Carl, even in the NBA. Another dude is Devin Booker. All right, I don't know what the future will be for Devin Booker or if the Knicks will try to get him, but Devin Booker loves Kenny Payne. He was on that 2015 Kentucky team, which in my opinion was the best college basketball team of the last 30 years, even though they didn't win the title. And Devin came off the bench, and a guy that is as good as Devin Booker coming off the bench, you can guess how that goes unless you have a guy like Kenny Payne to make sure that it's okay. So I think what he does is he takes – he knows how to, to relate to great players. It's one thing to be a coach of bad players. It's another thing to be a coach of decent players. But it takes a different kind of skill to get the best out of great players. And I actually think Kenny is really, really good at that and he has been especially good with this generation. And I'll go even further. It's not just the guys that went to Kentucky. Every top 10 player of the last decade either went to Kentucky or Kentucky tried to recruit them. So Kenny knows them all. And even if they didn't come to UK, they loved Kenny. So if you're looking at a kid that played college basketball from 2010 on, I guarantee you they know Kenny Payne, and they like Kenny Payne, and that cannot hurt. I, I, you know, your lips to God's ears. 
one last one, just because you brought up his name, uh, Devin Booker. I, I, I had heard somewhere maybe a week or two ago that his, maybe his dad is friends with, was friends with Kenny Payne. And there was, there was something there that helped get, uh, Devin through the door of Kentucky. But it seems like that's another particularly close relationship. I mean, obviously he's killing it with the Suns right now and he's signed for another four years. So it's not like he's hitting the market soon, but I'm almost wondering, you know, and again, I know you're, you're, you don't cover the NBA, but it, it, are these relationships the type that the Knicks w- might feel more comfortable going out on a limb, giving up a lot for a guy because they feel like, OK, once he's here, it's going to work well because we have, you know, Kenny Payne on staff. Well, Devin Booker came to Kentucky because of Kenny. He, You're right. His dad, I think his dad's name's maybe Melvin played with Kenny in a pro league somewhere. I'm not sure if it was the NBA or somewhere else. I think it was overseas. But they were they were close. And when Devin Booker, this is crazy to think about now, but when Devin Booker came to Kentucky, he was ranked like 50th or 60th in America. He was not considered a one and done. As a matter of fact, that class that included Carl Towns and Devin Booker was the lowest ranked class Cal's had at UK. Nobody thought that class was even good, and it's produced two superstars. <laughs> But Devin Booker, very close with, with, with Kenny. Now, you know, when it comes to the NBA, money rules everything. I get that. So the idea, at some point, the players are going to go where there's the most money. But when you're talking about the elite of the elite, so we're talking Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, Carl Towns, other guys from Kentucky like that, John Wall, et cetera, they're going to they're gonna get max money everywhere. So the question they're going to figure out is, where will, do I feel comfortable and happy? Well, I will say this. You couldn't have a better guy to answer that question for than Kenny because all of these dudes will feel comfortable with him. Throw in Wes, who, again, what I just said about Kenny is also true about Wes. If you were a top 10 player, in Wes's case, in the last 20 years, Wes knows you, then I think that it is – I've always thought, looking at the outside, that the Knicks, as a free agent destination, when they bomb, that it's hard for me to understand, but clearly there are reasons you all know them better than me. <laughs> do we do. But if you, were going, if you were going to try to create the perfect modern system for the kind of guys I've watched come through college basketball, I'm not just saying this. I can't imagine you'd have two better people outside of like Coach K and Cal than, than Wes and Kenny Payne. Because nobody – if you were to say to me, Matt, who are the four people that know the most about the modern NBA young players that came through college, I would probably say K, Cal, Kenny, and Wes. And now you got two of them. That's not a bad ratio. Um, And again, you know, this is uh, I I think this is what has fans a lot, you know, very excited about this. And and also, I I just want to make sure we we end on this. Your words about him being a great coach as opposed to a great recruiter. We have a kid here by the name of Mitchell Robinson. I'm I'm sure you've heard of him, which I think Nick fans are going to be excited to see what Kenny can do with him as well. Yeah. And Mitchell, by the way, was at Western. And so Kenny, he would come up to. come up to Lexington and play. So Kenny knows him too. I mean, Mitchell was, I don't, you know, he, he didn't get a lot of, I don't remember what his, the issue was with him at Western, but he was there and he was in Lexington practicing with UK guys. Julius Randall is somebody that uh, Kenny, you know, Julius Randall, I don't, I know he's been disappointing in some ways for the Knicks, but he was a bulldog in Lexington. He still holds the single season record for most rebounds in a season at UK, which is an amazing thing if you think about it, at his size. And then let me say Kevin Knox. I know he's had issues. But Kevin Knox, the part, Kenny got the best out of Kevin Knox. The reason you all picked Kevin Knox seventh was because of the development that occurred during his time in Lexington. So I don't know what Kevin's future is, but if Kevin Knox is going to be an NBA really good player, I can't imagine a better guy to help bring that out of him than Kenny. Again, your lips to God's ears. A lot of Nick fans have been waiting a long time to uh, have, you know, things like this have been said before about hires, but they, they have not come true. I, I don't know. I have a funny feeling this one's going to be different. Um, but here's the difference, though. Here's yeah. what I would say on that, because I know what that's got to be like, because you all have had 
a host of the Phil Jacksons. You've had some of the biggest names. Here's why I would believe in Kenny over some of those other guys. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it and to do it at the ground level. I mean, Kenny gets these guys when nobody except high school basketball stat heads know who they are. Look, everybody knew who Zion was. But I was at an Anthony Davis high school game when he was ranked 175th in America. And that summer that he blossomed to the number one player, I was at his AAU game sitting next to Kenny Payne watching and Kenny whispering, oh, this guy's going to be special. And at that point, nobody even knew who he was. He was going to, he was going to be going to Wright State. He, he is with these dudes at the ground level, and I think there's something to be said for that, and I think you all are going to see the dividends with your young guys. Knox, Randall, and Mitchell Robinson are the three guys. And R.J. Barrett, too. Listen, Kentucky tried to get R.J. Barrett, and, and so Kenny knows him, too. All those guys are dudes that I bet you right now Kenny Payne is thinking, I can't wait to go get to work with those guys. Well, I can't wait for Kenny Payne to get his chance to work with those guys after hearing you talk about him for the last 20 minutes. Um, Matt, before I let you go, you've been so generous with your time. It's rare that I get a published author on my podcast. You are. You have a new book out. Uh, Can you just tell the folks at home a little bit about what it is and maybe where they can find it? Yeah, it's a completely different than all the rest of this stuff. I wrote a book called Mitch Please uh, about Mitch McConnell, who everything I just said possibly about Kenny now think the opposite. And that's what I think about Mitch McConnell. Um, But uh, it's basically a book about how he has sort of systematically hurt Kentucky and then by extension America as well. It's 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 serious but it's also funny we i traveled around the state talked to people about him uh if you are at all interested in politics you enjoy it it's a new york times bestseller uh we opened on the bestseller list and it comes it's out right now on amazon etc in hardcover comes out in paperback first uh, of october well i i don't think i could wait until it's out on paperback i'm gonna have to order that now because um listen i could say it because it's my show um i don't think very much mitch mcconnell so i'd like to read your thoughts on him you as should, well whatever you should think worse than you do i can <laughs> tell you that but, uh, mitch please uh and it's by simon and schuster and i hope uh I hope you folks will check it out. Matt, here's here's the only thing I'm going to ask of you. If this year uh, comes, you know, assuming the NBA plays next season, and um, it's very clear that Kenny Payne uh, is uh, has been making a difference with the organization, I'm having you back on a year from now just to do a victory lap, if, if that's okay. It doesn't even have to be for no, a whole segment. Well, look, my girlfriend lives in New York, so I'm in New York all the time. I've been to more than my fair share of Knicks games of uh, various amounts of quality. So I will be there pulling for them uh, as much as possible and hopefully getting to see them uh, improve this year. Uh, you and me both. Uh, once again, Matt Jones, you could hear him on ESPN radio is national program between one and five every Saturday. I-, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out to come on the show. Glad to do it. Okay, joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, as you know, if you've been listening to this program for a while, I am a big fan of having people from The Athletic on because, um, quite frankly, they are the best at what they do and they have great information. And today is, of course, no exception. Um, there are a few people who know Kentucky sports and particularly Kentucky basketball as well as my guest today. Um, so I am very pleased and honored to introduce Kyle Tucker. Kyle, how are you, man? Good. How are you? Um, I'm doing good. And, and I have to say, you know, I, I write about the Knicks. I cover the Knicks, but I also, you know, unabashedly root for the Knicks. And, um, uh, you may have heard down in Kentucky, it has been, uh, you know, it's been a long 20 years and Nick fans are always, (laughs) (laughs) we're always looking for signs of hope. Um, and I think we, you know, we got one in the hiring of Leon Rose and then William Wesley and most recently Tom Thibodeau. But it's rare that an assistant coaching hire, I think generates this much um, at the very least interest. And uh, I'll even go so far as to say excitement amongst the fan base. So um, I guess more than anything, I'm just curious to know how, first of all, how long have you been covering Kenny Payne in Kentucky and like, what were your kind of first dealings with him? 
Yeah, so I covered him, uh, I think, nine of his ten years uh, at Kentucky. Had a great relationship with him. Um, you know, talked to him all the time. Spent a lot of time with him for that profile I wrote last summer. Um, one of the things I noticed about Kenny over you know over time was that so many NBA guys were coming back uh, in the offseason to work out with him. Anthony Davis, Carl Towns, and guys that were number one picks. Guys that were, a lot of guys that were lottery picks. He's had nine big men that he tutored at Kentucky who were lottery picks. Um, you know, and, and several others that were drafted, but nine lottery picks. Uh, and I just kept noticing that they, when they'd have a chance, when there was a, you know, a break, if it was all-star break and they weren't all-stars or whatever it was, you know, they were coming back and working out with Kenny Payne. And I thought that spoke more than any, you know, you can read the quotes of the story today on the athletic you can read the quotes of the story. Um, the profile is pinned on my Twitter profile. If anybody wants to see it, uh, at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH. You can, you can read the quotes and, and, they are effusive. I mean, it's incredible what they say about him. But to me, what kind of spurred me to write about him was what they were doing. I mean, it was it wasn't just lip service. It wasn't they loved him and respected him while they were at Kentucky. Uh, these pros who have access to the best trainers and training in the world were coming back to work out with Kenny Payne. So I, I set out to sort of write a story about what does he mean to these guys? What does he mean to the program? Why? Why is he so special to all these guys? Um, and really it's a lot of things. I mean, it's a relationship thing. All of them call him uncle. You know, they've got, they, they all have a sort of familiar, familial connection to Kenny Payne, almost to a man, they would say that. Um, and then, you know, his workouts were just legendary, the way he would push these guys and train these guys. And it was all rooted. He, his connection to William Wesley dates to his days at Louisville, Milt Wagner, the, the Jersey boys, uh, that were around the Louisville program. Uh, Purvis Ellison, the number former number one pick, um, and Kenny and Purvis after one summer uh, after their junior senior year at Louisville went out to California and spent ten, ten days working out with Hakeem Olajuwon. And Olajuwon was legendary for his workouts, and he sort of taught Kenny uh, what it takes. And Kenny became a pro himself, um, and he has just he's been kind of legendary in the training of all players and especially of big men. And so I went out to summer league. I spent several days last summer tracking down guys and calling guys that I had old contacts with. And I, I spoke to Anthony Davis and Carl Towns and Devin Booker and Bam Adebayo and uh, PJ Washington and all those guys, uh, Willie Cauley Stein, that he coached. And about what is it? What makes him special? And they just they all talked about. It. They talked about the legendary workouts, the training. He had a treadmill that he called Big Henry in the corner of the gym, and he would put. I had him put me through part of a workout, and it's just an insane, almost impossible, almost impossible workout. I have to ask, um, how far did you get? Because I know it's it's basically alternating between you wrote, I guess, eight miles an hour, which for a usual person would be a sprint, but that's the the jogging portion the jog. of it, right? Yeah, and then eleven miles an hour is the sprint, and and it's a uh, it's a two mile a uh, two minute uh, jog at eight miles an hour, and then one minute sprint at eleven miles an hour. Um, and that just goes nonstop for 40 some minutes. Uh, and Julius Randall, who's with the Knicks now, um, recently, I think last summer, his mom, uh, called Kenny Payne and said, uh, Julius called me and he was so proud. He said he finally completed the Kenny Payne treadmill workout and he'd never completely, he left Kentucky in 2014. Uh, having never completed it. And he tried to complete it several times in the years since, and it had been, five years uh, of him trying to get in good enough shape to complete the Kenny Payne treadmill workout. Uh, you know, and all those guys, as soon as I said, tell me about Henry, the treadmill, big Henry, you know, Anthony Davis is like, Oh my God, it was, it was murder. Um, <laughs> you know, and they, they all talk about it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, yeah, anybody can put somebody on a treadmill. It's a combination of all the different training, the methods, the mental approach. I and mean, he really, one of the things he would do is just push guys to their total limit physically and then drill them on something because he would say, you know, the real, real life is games on the line. You can't, you don't, you can barely pick your feet up off the floor, but you still have to deliver. Can you do that? Um, you know, and, and just things like that. And it was just remarkable to me 
you know, for that profile, I talked to over a dozen former Kentucky players in the NBA, and they all raved the same way. Um, I talked to three former number one picks, and they all, you know, Anthony Davis, Carl Towns, and Purvis Ellison, who had been his teammate. I talked to three Hall of Fame coaches uh, for the story, um, including Larry Brown, who gave him his start. You know, Larry Brown invited Kenny Payne uh, basically through connections they had. Worldwide West, I think, was a part of it with the Pistons um, in the early 2000s to basically do a unpaid internship on the weekends. He was finishing his degree, going to class during the week at Louisville, and then driving up on Friday for long weekends to stay on Wes's couch and Rip Hamilton's couch uh, and break down film for Larry Brown. I mean, all everyone you talk to, all these high-level guys, uh, another Hall of Fame coach, Denny Crum, um, who was his coach, uh, Kenny's coach in college, and so he could kind of see that coach uh, spark in him even as a player. They all just uh, could not be more effusive in praise of Kenny Payne. And, you know, it's it's more, the words are nice. The action, to me, says more. And the fact that these players come back, the fact that Kentucky kept ponying up money to an absurd degree to make him the highest-paid assistant in college basketball at $900,000. And the reason he never left for a head coaching job at a smaller school is because he would have taken a pay cut. Do, do you think he had that opportunity? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He had opportunities to go to lower-level Division One schools uh, and be a head coach, without a doubt. Um, but he wasn't. Why would he do that? You know. And I think one of the reasons he's at the Knicks is I think college basketball failed him. Uh, just the facts are there are not a lot of black head coaches uh, in Power Five or, or major high-major college basketball programs. And I think he asked the question to himself the last four or five years. If I was a white guy with the credentials I have, you know, won a title as a player, played in the NBA, coached in the NBA, uh, coached under John Calipari at Kentucky at the highest level for 10 years uh, without, without a hint of, you know, problem or scandal, getting a pile of five-star recruits, develop, developing guys at a rate that no one else could claim, turning out lottery picks the way we have, you know, and having all these NBA guys vouch for me as a coach. If I was a white guy in that, with that same list of, of, of accolades, would I surely not have been plucked up and been a, hired as a coach at a, a high major program, not a, not a, you know, a low major or even mid major. I think there's some validity to that. And so, um, I, I think he was just incredibly valuable to Kentucky. I think he deserved to be a head coach at a high level and didn't get it. And now he's trying his hand at the NBA. And I think the, the opportunity to reunite with friends and people that he uh, trusts there, you know, in, in the basketball mecca in New York, I think was really appealing to him. And he may never come back to college. Some, you know, some people wonder whether this is, this will give him some more cred come back and be a head coach in college. I don't know. The NBA may be where, where he belongs. Uh, I think the NBA certainly will embrace him maybe more than college basketball did. Well, he's, you know, it's funny you bring up, um, he was, he was the highest paid assistant coach in college, but never got that shot. He, if the reported number and, uh, Stefan Bondi, the daily news reported it at 1.5. I had, I had heard his initial ask of the Knicks was 2 million. I not, sure 100 percent about that but i could see that being a possibility i mean you know james dolan has a lot of money you might as well ask for all of it um yeah. but you know other than tyrone lou and and uh jason kidd both of whom were former head coaches in the league um actually excuse me when when lou got his assistant contract with the Cavs, he wasn't yet a head coach but um other than those two he'll now become the highest paid assistant in the NBA. And it's interesting because he's working under a guy. I, I'm imagining he'll be, you know, first bench seat over from Tibbs um, literally, or, you know, in, in the, the sense that he's second in the chain of command, you know, and Tibbs hasn't, he's worn out as welcome at his two previous um, stops. I, I, you know, obviously you can't see into Kenny's mind. I wonder though, if that's in the back of his mind, like, Hey, you know, Tibbs is, he's not a younger coach. He's in his sixties. Um, 
you know, it stranger things have happened than the head coach of the New York Knicks getting fired and someone under him having to take the reins. Um, well, and by the way, I mean, if you're, uh, you can overblow the influence he could have in drawing players to New York, really that any coach could draw players anywhere. But in his case, you know, I think two of his strongest relationships are Devin Booker and Carl Towns. I don't think you're going to get Carl Towns to New York if Fibs is the coach. Uh, but you might if Kenny Payne is the coach. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, all that is really interesting to me. Uh, I know there's, you know, there's a lot of people hoping that he's going to, he's going to bring somebody big, you know, one of the big Kentucky names uh, to New York. And he might. But I don't think, even if he doesn't, I, I think Kenny's really valuable to that franchise because of the development piece. I don't think you hire him. I don't think you pay him $1.5 million just hoping he'll bring somebody with him because uh, I don't think you could in any way guarantee that. But I think you can almost certainly guarantee that he'll make the young players on the Knicks, and there are a bunch of them, uh, better. I mean, Mitchell Robinson is going to have the best year of his career next year. Um, you know, I would almost guarantee that. And and they work together, I heard, a little bit um when he, you know, I know he wasn't at on campus for very long when he was in, um, I think it was Western Kentucky, right? Um, Mitchell Robinson. But uh, my understanding was he came in and worked out a little bit with uh, Kenny during that time. And then obviously Kevin Knox. What, can you give any any insight into what their relationship like when, when not Kevin was there? And, and if you have anything on, on when Mitch would occasionally come up? Yeah, I don't I don't know much about the Mitchell Robinson situation, but it doesn't surprise me. I think Kenny, while prioritizing the Kentucky guys, I think he would work out anybody who sought him out and wanted to get better. He just loves to do it. Um, that was the other thing he was really known for is guys would say, Kentucky guys would say, I could text Kenny at 2 a.m. and say, I really need to work out. And he'd get out of bed and leave his family and <laughs> come work me out. Um, and so um, that doesn't surprise me. And, and in terms of Kevin, I think they had a great relationship. You know, Kevin, uh, was, I was doing another you know, thing for someone there in New York and, and started talking about Kevin Knox. And, and it reminded me, of how young he was. He was 17 when preseason workouts started at Kentucky. I think he turned 20 yesterday. Um, 21 so yesterday. He could, he could now buy a I'm drink. Sorry, 21, <laughs> yeah, 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 sorry, 21 yesterday. Uh, you know, he, he, he's a young, young uh, kid still. And, you know, some of it was circumstance and opportunity last season. His numbers and his minutes really plummeted. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Kentucky thought he really might come back for one more year because oh, really? there was some concern. Yeah, there was some concern about, you know, physical and mental maturity just because of his youth. And and, and he had, I don't want to say lived a sheltered life, but I, I just, a little bit, a little bit. And, you know, the Kentucky world was a shock to him. It took him some time to get acclimated to it, um, to figure out the toughness that it took. And Kenny got him there, you know, towards the end of the year, he was really playing well, got him to be a lottery pick. Um, and I think, you know, Kevin needs to be pushed. He needs somebody to help, you know, drag that maturity out of him to make him uh, sort of face his, uh, the things that he needs to get better at. And, and he, the fact that he had now has a guy in Kenny that he trusts to do that, that he trusts to sort of let, let go and, and let somebody else say this is the right way to do it. Um, I think it'd be really big for Kevin. I, I certainly don't think his window is closed that he, you know, he can't be a really good player. I don't think he's going to be the salvation, but I think he'd be a really nice player. I think Mitchell Robinson can be a really good player for the Knicks, uh, especially with Kenny Payne. I think RJ Barrett over time um, can be a really nice player. None of those guys to me strike me as, as players who can, um, you know, lead the franchise to the, to glory. But if you can get all those pieces playing really well and being good, solid NBA players and then go pull in the blockbuster um, and put those guys around them, that could that could be a big deal. And I think – I guess what I'm getting at is, is Kenny could be so important beyond the luring of, of free agents as a culture guy. Um, and, you know, uh, Tibbs is, is pretty well known as a hard-driving guy, right? I mean, he's, he's maybe frustrated – players and franchises that way, but so is Calipari and Kenny was a great, um, sort of 
sounding board. He was like the you know, he he pushes guys really hard, but but off the court he can be the good cop to the to the hard driving head coach's bad cop. And so the players learn to trust him off the floor, and then that then they allow him to push them on the court. And I think that's all really important. I think the fit could be really good as sort of a counterbalance to Thibodeau um, with Kenny. And I think especially with guys like Kevin Knox, you know, if maybe there's a little bit of fragility there uh, and they need some, they need some TLC. Uh, I Kenny can be both the, the taskmaster and the guy that puts his arm around players. You said a couple of things I just want to hit on before I get you out of here. Cause I, it's so funny. You mentioned culture and I had your colleague, John Krasinski, who, who covered Tibbs um, when he was in Minnesota on a, a different podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he joked, he's like, you know, everybody in New York who says Tibbs is going to be there and it's going to improve the culture. He's like, no, Tibbs doesn't care about culture. That's not, <laughs> that's not his MO. Um, you're, you're, you're going to need to get someone else to worry about that end of it. And you know, you also mentioned earlier that Kenny is a guy who who pushes players to their limits. I think that's the reputation that Tibbs has, which is a guy who, you know, he's he's going to be unapologetic in trying to get you to be the best player you could be. It sounds like Kenny Payne kind of does the same thing, except he, you know, will because he's not the head coach in this circumstance, at least um, he's going to also be able to kind of put his arm around you at the end of the day is the thing I always go to. And, and you know develop that relationship. So I guess the the last thing I have, and you, you mentioned how it should be a copacetic relationship um, between him and Tibbs. It's now, you know, it's him, it's Wes, um, you know, will Milt Wagner find his way to the Knicks uh, over the course of the next, I don't know, weeks, months, who knows? Um, do you, you know, an assistant coach as a drawing card for a Carl Towns or a Devin Booker, I, I don't know about that, but, I'm almost wondering if they're trying to build something here that they kind of had in Kentucky and that, you know, that's what I'm curious what you think of it. Is there like, is there an atmosphere there that players see and they're like, I want to be a part of that. And, and and maybe, you know, is that part of what this is about as well? Well, I mean, Cal's whole sort of tagline is players first. And they've really tried to emphasize that, Um, you know, unapologetically, you know, wanting to prepare guys for the NBA, even if in the short term, it, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, the number one thing that would help them win, but it would help a guy, improve. you know, they could have let Carl Towns and Anthony Davis and a bunch of guys do some things that they were already good at. Um, and they may have won more games or whatever, um, over the, over the course of a college season, but they were, they were just going to be unrelenting about, this is what you have to do to be the best pro. Um, and I think guys really respected that. I mean, I think they just they everything the way about the way they treated those players was about, uh, protecting them, taking care of them, preparing them for the NBA. And they, they really hammered that message of players first. Um, you know, and it's, it's funny because I think that's where Cal Perry failed as a head coach in the NBA was not, not recognizing <laughs> that it's about the players first at that, in that league, uh, that it's not a head coach driven league, that you're not the face and the personality of the franchise, that it's the players. Um, and trying to coach him like he was a college coach. I think if he ever went back to the NBA, he would, he would have learned that lesson. And, and I think the way he's been at Kentucky indicates he's probably learned some of that lesson. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's just, there was an atmosphere at Kentucky with Cal and Kenny and the rest of those guys uh, of, Hey, we're going to get you here. We're going to take care of you. Uh, we're going to do all the, you know, we have a program and a plan to make, to turn out great pros who are set up to succeed when they get there. And, and it's been borne out by how many successful guys they have when they get to the NBA. They don't have this big heap of just total flame outs in the league. Um, so, you know, I, can you recreate that in the NBA, you know, in New York with the Knicks? I don't know. Um, but I, and can Kenny himself lure anybody? Probably not, but I think it's about a, it's a team thing. I mean, there's a huge uh, CAA factor, you know, at work. There's a bunch of players represented uh, by that agency. Uh, Wes, uh, Kenny, you know, it's all, it's all, it's not one thing. It's a lot of things that you're hoping, I think, to, to play on and create a perfect storm and a perfect atmosphere where it is now cool to come to New York and, and be the guy who, 
but the big name guy who comes in and uh, finally gets him over the hump because it's uh, there's a lot of risk in it and I understand the aversion because of the the just the turmoil and Dolan and all of that. But if you're the guy who goes to New York and they win, I mean you're a god, right? So there's there's some selling point to that as well. Yeah, and uh, you know it's funny. A lot of that's what a lot of fans have been conflicted about the last few days is this the push and pull of you know we're always the team that tries to use our allure to get guys here, and I think some see the the pain higher as trying to you know add to that, and then there's other people who see it I think more for what it really is, as you've said repeatedly, which is that this is a guy who's going to make players better, and um, you know at, at the end of the day you're not getting anybody to come to your franchise unless a, there's good players already here, which there's not right now. Um, and, uh, B, you know, players don't have the belief that you can make them better once they, once they arrive. Um, Kyle, I can't thank you enough for how generous you were with your time. I, I really, you know, I'll, I'll let you do a, a plug after this, but it, it's rare. You read a profile and you're just blown away, not only by, the um the content itself which was fantastic but just the amount of reporting that clearly went into this and that <laughs> if if nothing else the um the carl anthony town story that started it about you getting his attention in summer league that's the worth worth the price of admission for the piece by itself but the rest of it is is spectacular by the way are you going to try the, tr- the treadmill workout again like are you going to go back every year even though he's not there <laughs> I've only gotten in worse shape, so probably <laughs> not. But it, it, I mean, it is intense. And the Carl, the Carl Anthony Towns uh, story is pretty great. And it, it's, I probably work telling here just briefly, you know. Sure, please. And it, it illustrates everything we've talked about, which is, you know, I go out to summer league. I'm really having no problem getting anybody that I, that I need to talk to. I actually had uh, Anthony Davis and, and uh, Devin Booker's cell phone numbers from back in the day, and, and they actually answered and talked. They, I mean, the, those guys are. Ha- they're NBA superstars who are very difficult to reach, and they were very happy to talk about Kenny Payne. Uh, but at Summer League, as I'm knocking out some of the other interviews, Carl Towns shows up. He's in sunglasses in the what, T-Mobile Arena or whatever out in Vegas, and he's you know making his way through the crowd, trying not to be stopped. He pauses to talk to Adam Silver. Uh, he's got a PR person with him. I'm like begging her to give me two, two minutes. And she's like, no, nope, he's busy. He's going, he's got people to see yada, yada, yada. She's kind of leading him through the crowd. They're not stopping for anybody except for the commissioner. And finally, I'm, I'm kind of desperate because I really want to get Carl. I know they're really close. And I just kind of bark out from behind him. Hey, Carl, this story is about Kenny Payne. You got a second. And he wheels around, stops in his tracks, you know, lowers his glasses and proceeds to give this, this, uh, you know, spiel about how great Kenny Payne is in the <laughs> line about Kenny, Kenny Payne is the horse beneath the jockey is great in line. Kentucky basketball. Um, but yeah, I mean, that just, that tells you these guys genuinely love Kenny Payne. And uh, I think the Knicks players are going to feel the same way about him. And so I, I'm curious to just see how does that evolve? What does that look like when the whole roster falls in love with Kenny Payne and, and Mitchell Robinson has his best year and you start to see what Kenny can do. Does, does it impact, you know, guys who are looking at New York? Does it, does it set him on a course to be a coach in waiting down the road? It would be wild if Kenny Payne couldn't get a, you know, a decent <laughs> division one coaching job. And he ends up in a couple of years as the head coach of the New York Knicks. It still has a lore. I think, um, I mean, how look at Tibbs. Um, I'm sure he could have gotten another job. He, he came back home. Um, and like, you, you know, like you said, Wes is here. Uh, that relationship goes back, whatever, three, four decades. Um, Kyle, you are outstanding. Can you just, uh, if you don't mind, tell the folks uh, listening where they could find uh, your stuff, which is, by the way, especially relevant to any Nick fan, because, um, <laughs> you know, until further notice, we're going to continue to be looking at the draft and uh, Kentucky guys always have great uh, or Kentucky always has great prospects and you cover them. So, yeah, where can folks at home find you? Yeah, they, they produce a lottery pick at least every year under Calipari. So Maxie, in the lottery, some, one of their guys will be on the board. Some some Maxi fans are, are definitely in New York. We'll see if, if that happens or not. Yeah, he's not your savior, but he could be an interesting piece. Yeah. Um, you can follow me at the athletic dot uh, com. 
uh, on Twitter at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH and the Kenny Payne profile from last year. The really long piece on him is pinned at the top of my uh, Twitter profile. And then uh, today's story, you don't have to go far in the timeline to find it. it I, I pulled a bunch of other material that didn't make the cut. I talked to so many guys for that that I, I used some more of it uh, in today's story. Just NBA guys saying what Kenny meant and what Kentucky is losing what New York is getting. Um, I say it every time Vork is on. Uh, if you're not subscribing to the Athletic, I I, I don't know what you're doing. Um, you are yet another reason for uh, people listening to go ahead and do that. Uh, so again, Kyle, uh, I can't thank you enough for the time. And uh, yeah, but I, I guess I wish uh, Kentucky best of luck in finding a replacement. Right? <laughs> yeah, they've already got one, Bruiser Flint. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, you mentioned uh, that in the piece. Kyle's old UMass assistant is uh, is headed to town. Well. We'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes here in New York. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes and uh, all the best, man. Take care. No problem. Okay, guys, that does it for this episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed all of the beautiful, beautiful information on Kenny Payne. And uh, you know what? I don't usually plug the pod in this way, but if you're still listening at this point, um, I'm going to do something I don't really do, and uh, that's ask people out there to go over to wherever your podcast, uh, I don't know, platform, I guess, is found, and um, give a rating, unless it's a bad one. If you don't like the pod and you're still listening now, what the hell are you doing with yourself? Um, but if you like it and um, you know you want to share that uh, pleasure uh, that you receive from listening to just these wonderful, wonderful episodes, because they're so good. Um, Go and, I don't know, give it, I think it's a five-star rating, uh, leave a review if you feel so inclined. Um, you know, I, I ideally would like to keep doing this for a very long time. And my understanding is that those ratings and, and such things help. So, um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would really appreciate it. And, uh, shout out to, uh, Andrew Claudio, who reminded me to record this outro, um, because he is the best producer in the whole entire world. So thank you, Andrew. And of course, most of all, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the podcast. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure if we're going to have anything else for the rest of this week. Um, but myself and Jeremy will be here with our usual Sunday conversation that will come to you, of course, on Monday. Um, like usual. All right. Have a good one.